So what I want to talk to you tonight, as leaders and as pastors and as ministers, I want to talk to you about keys to soul management. How to manage your soul in ministry so that you can sustain and have longevity in ministry. And whatever you're doing, whether you be a, a leader of a team or whether you be a pastor or a future leader, these truths that I'm about to share with you, I believe, will really, really help you. In the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and the 23rd verse, it says this, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body would be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want you to notice that God made us spirit, soul, and body. And there's a lot taught about the spiritual side of leadership. But if you go to a seminary, or if you go to some of the Bible college, there's almost nothing talked about how to manage your soul as a leader. And that is why a lot of leaders don't last long. I don't have the statistics right here before me, But I do know one thing, that pastors have a tendency to stay for a year, a two years, or whatever the case may be, and move on, so to speak, to greener pastures. The soul, the mind, the will, the emotions must be managed. If we're going to experience longevity in ministry, we must not ignore the health of this third part, our soul. How would you like it if you went over to somebody's house and you heard about these chocolate chip cookies that Pastor Brenda made? (laughs) Or that gingerbread that Lee Beckhusen makes? And you had dinner, but you really were expecting to eat about five cookies. And if Brenda came out with the cookie tray and said, oh, you guys, I'm sorry, I forgot about one-third of the ingredients. I forgot the sugar. I forgot the chocolate. It wouldn't work. You probably would be headed to Mrs. Fields real soon. So here's the deal, guys. It's not a question whether or not we are equipped. We are equipped. We are anointed. We are appointed. God has put his very best in you and his very best in me. And you know what? There's no one like you. And there's no one like me. There's no one like PT. There's no one like Brother George. We are God's masterpiece signed, sealed, and delivered, and we are one of one. And because we are one of one, there's no way that I can compare myself with Pastor Chris. Because Pastor Chris has a different church, a different grace, and he's running a different race. It would be foolish for me to compare myself with him because of the uniqueness of the way that God has made us. So in the body of Christ and as leaders, 
We are not to compete with one another, but rather we are to complete one another and we are to complement one another. It's so important to develop your soul, your soul, your mind, your will, and your, and your, uh, your life. The word survive, you know, it's, it's kind of, oh, you know, we need to have soul survival. You do in ministry. Because ministry has tough terrain. If anybody ever tells you that ministry is an easy deal or that ministry is a piece of cake, they're lying through their teeth. Now, I will say this, that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But you've got to have the skills to sustain and to survive. And I looked up the word survive and the word survive means to cause to function or to prosper despite challenges. Here's what I want to say to you tonight. No one is responsible for your soul but you. Leaders are often good at spiritual things and some natural things, but not good at the soul. Your soul is uniquely yours. You know, people are making decisions that affect their soul every day. You think about how many decisions you need to make as a leader during the course of a day, during the course of a week, or during the course of a month. Or even if you're not a leader, there's all sorts of decisions that need to be made. More than most people. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus said this, What will a man give in exchange for his own soul? What is this saying? Every day, you and I are involved in making trades. And for most people, that's where they cut corners. A lot of leaders think things like, Oh man, if my church is ever to get bigger, if my, my team is ever to get bigger, I've got to do better. I've got to do better. I got to pray more. I got to speak more. I got to fast more. I got to, got to, got to, got to, got to. I almost sound like Otis Redding. You got to, got to, got to try a little tenderness. But anyway. And so what happens, and I've done it myself. I've seen myself get on a, a, a treadmill of works, a treadmill of trying to keep up with the Joneses. If there's any Joneses here, I don't mean it that way. <laughs> wanting to do better, wanting to be more. And at the same time, there's exchange taking and the soul is having corners cut on it. What I want to say to you tonight is I cannot delegate the management of my soul to somebody else. It's something that I cannot delegate. I cannot give that responsibility to my beautiful wife, Brenda. It is not her call in life to make sure that I feel good every day. I can't expect my wife to lift me up every day and make me feel good about myself. If I don't feel good about myself, no compliments, nothing done of her lifting me up will do it. 
The only way that I'm going to feel good about myself is look into the perfect law of liberty, discover who I am in Christ and my value to Him, and that I have right standing with God and my security and all my springs are in Him. Amen. There's areas you can't delegate. Listen to this statement. Never put your emotional well-being in the hands of someone else. Every preacher, every minister has heard these words after they've preached. You suck. (laughs) That was terrible. That was lousy. You know, that's coming from the devil. That's not coming from the chief shepherd. He doesn't talk like that. Pastors probably shouldn't talk like that either. But you cannot base your self-worth on someone else's opinion. Lester Sumrall said this, Someone else's mind is nowhere to find your self-worth in. What other people think of you does not matter. You would love for everybody to think very highly of you, but the truth is they don't and they won't. Some will, some may, some will come and some will go. That is why our well-being must be based on the rock of our salvation. Now, David... David faced many battles. We could talk about some of the battles that he faced. And here's what David did. David had to have a conversation with his soul. How many of you know our souls need talking to sometimes? And David said this, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? And then he says, Here's what you need to do, soul. You need to get your hope back up. You need to leave the land of discouragement and despair and encourage yourself in the Lord and reactivate the hope that I've placed on the inside of you. He said, hope thou in God. Everyone say, hope thou in God. And what did David do? He went on and took it a step further. He said, For I will yet praise you, for you are the health. Oh, come on. You are the health of my countenance. He was having soul problems. He talked to his soul. He was overwhelmed, but he knew what to do. He said, I'm going to praise him. And here's what's going to happen to my countenance that was sad. My countenance is going to change. Why is that? Because he is the glory and the lifter up of our head. You know, there are people that will say things about you. They'll look at you and say, there's no help for him and God. There's no help for her and God. Who does he, who does she think that they are? Hey, don't listen to the naysayers. Just know this, that God is your shield. He is your fortress. And He is the glory and the lifter up of your head. Amen. Amen. 
How about 10 seconds of giving God praise right now? Come on. Lift up your voice. Lift up your hands. Ha, ha, ha. Hope thou in God. Don't ever allow your expectation to dwindle by the opinion of others. Having hope is having a confident and favorable expectation of good based on what God's word said, based on what the spirit of God has said to you about your life, about your ministry, and about your church. The Bible says that we can rejoice in hope. You know how many times David asked to be revived in Psalms 119? Let me just read it to you and you don't need to try to keep up. But Psalms 119.25 he says, my soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to what? According to your word. He says, turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. How many of you know as leaders, there are some worthless things we shouldn't be looking at? And some of the worthless things we shouldn't be looking at, we shouldn't be looking at low offerings. We shouldn't be looking at low attendance. Everybody that walks through the door is worth and has value. And it's a waste of our time and it's worthless to be fretting and to be worrying about who wasn't there. Let's go beyond who wasn't there and rejoice about who is there and let's give our very best to the people that have come to hear. Amen. He said, Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness. He said in verse 88, Revive me according to your loving kindness so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. David said, I'm afflicted very much. Revive me according to your word. How many of you know, just getting in the word will revive you. Jeremiah said, Thy words were found and I did eat them and they were unto me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Psalm 119, 154 says, Plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to your word. And over and over again in that psalm, David is praying for a revival in his soul. What does that mean? The word revive there means to return to life. It means to flourish again. It literally means to come back to life again. But revive also means I've been weakened by circumstance. I've gone through a dry time. You know, we might just as well be honest and call it for what it is. That's right. I've grown weary. I've grown tired. I've gone exhausted. But Lord, I'm asking you to revive me and to make me strong again. And I am sure that all of us have been there before. See, as leaders become weary on the inside and they become worn out in their soul, they lose their edge. They lose a clear unction and a clear anointing to minister to God's people. 
We don't look to any human being for the health of our soul. We look, and Ronnie quoted it. Thank you, Ronnie. We look to the bishop of our soul. The word bishop there literally means the overseer. He is overseeing our soul. He loves us. He cares for us. He is concerned about our well-being. Say it with me. You are the shepherd of my soul. So I believe this. I believe in life. I believe in ministry that you and I can have a continual soul revival. If we'll learn to manage it. David said this. He said, I would have fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Jesus says this to us. Come to me, all you who are laden and heavy burdened, and I will cause you to rest. I will ease and refresh your soul. Everyone say, my soul becomes refreshed when I come to him. If I don't come to him and I go to other sources for the refreshment of my soul, I will never receive the kind of refreshing that the master wants to give me. A nap won't do it. Watching videos all day won't do it. A six-course meal helps. <laughs> but it won't do it. One thing that'll really help is laughter. See, a merry heart does good like a medicine. So he says here now in Matthew 11, and notice with me in verse 30, and we're looking at the Amplified Version. He said, For my yoke is wholesome, useful, and good. It's not harsh, sharp, or pressing, but comfortable and gracious and pleasant. And my burden is light and easy to be borne. I believe this, that as leaders, we have no choice in life to carry care. We must not carry the cares. Notice he said, I will ease, I will relieve, and I will refresh your souls. The message says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and I will recover your life. How many of you know there's times we need to come apart before we fall apart? I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Then he goes on to say, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Isn't that good? He's not going to put anything ill-fitting on us. Notice this. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I believe the will of God for pastors, for ministers, 
and for future leaders is to live a light and easy life. Not a fearful life, not a queasy life, but a life that is light. You see, what God puts on you and gives you to do, you can do it. But if I'm trying to do some things that Pastor Leah is trying to do without the direction that Pastor Leah has to do, if I try to do that in my church, even though it's working in her church, it's ill-fitting for me. There's no grace. It doesn't fit. And so we all have our own lane, right? And so it's very important as leaders to stay in our own lane. And not be concerned about who's running next to us. We're all running. We're running the race. Come on, somebody. We are running the race. And we're running to win. And I'm not sure what lap we're on, but I have this sense that soon and very soon, we're going to hear the trumpet sound and we're going to get raptured out of here. So let us run the race by the glorious grace that God has given us, all the while keeping our eyes on Him. There are times of refreshing available for leaders. You know, I was watching Rodney Howard Brown. Rodney Howard Brown in the 80s was known as the joy man. You know what? He still is. I watched one of his services the other night, George. It was almost five hours. Four hours and 54 minutes. And everyone was with it. Why? Because they were under the spout where the refreshing was coming out. It's not that Rodney is so great and so big and so wonderful. It's that Rodney exalts a good God, a big God, a wonderful God, and a joy-filled God. And as a result, the people just receive. Listen, folks, there's been many times, and one of my altars that I go to to be refreshed, one of the places that brings me back to my roots is I'll go down to Rama Bible Training Center where I met Brenda. Where we experienced so many impartations and so many deposits from the teaching and the preaching of the Word and so many deposits from the unction that was on Kenneth e. Hagan. And I tell you guys, I'll just walk in that building sometime and it's almost like a cloak comes on me. It's like the anointing comes upon me. It's one of my altars. And God has a place for us. You know what it's called? It's called the secret place. It's called the secret place of the Most High. And in that secret place, there's a place for you and I to recover. There's a place for you and I to recover from the effects of heat. It's a place for you and I to recover from some of the battles that we've been through. Some of the battles that we've gone through. And in Acts 3, and in verse 19, it says this. Change your mind and purpose. Turn around and return to God. Everyone say, return to God. So that your sins may be erased and blotted out, wiped clean. That times of refreshing, of recovering from the effects of heat, of reviving with fresh air, 
may come from the presence of the Lord. Notice these words, a reviving, a refreshing, a quickening, a strengthening comes from the passion, presence of the Lord. Now before that we conclude this little 30 minute part and have some coffee together and come back for another 20 or 25, let me share with you Psalms 23 from the Passion's Translation. And if we could pull verse 1 and 2 up. I want you to read it with me. Ready, read. The Lord is my best friend and my shepherd. Say what? You always have what? You always have more than enough what? You have more than enough anointing. You have more than enough grace. We have more than enough wisdom. Everything that we need to fulfill the call of God, He has made available to us. And not just in a small measure, but in a more than enough measure. Hallelujah. How many of you will go to the land of more than enough with me? And that's not only true for anointing and grace and unction, but you know it's true for your finances? It's true for your church? It's true for this church? It's true for your home? Somebody said, well, Pastor Mark, I run out of money before I, you know, before the end of the month. Listen, you've made it this far. You've come this bar, far by faith. We, you've been in the land of just enough. But how, how many of you know we're going to the land that's more than enough? More than enough. Everyone say more than. More than enough. Now notice this in verse 2. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. He tracks me to an oasis of peace, the quiet brook of bliss. We see two principles there. We see rest and peace. Did you know that there remains for the people of God a rest? And the Bible says, when we put ourselves in a position to believe and to trust, we will enter into His rest, which is His refreshment which brings a peace that passes understanding. And here's what the Bible says in verse uh, 10 or 11. It says, Let us therefore labor to enter in to that rest. Hebrews 4 verse 11. Let us therefore labor to enter into that rest. See, this is talking about more than physical rest. And see, I've got to labor to enter into that. I've got to labor. You know why? Because there's a lot of distractions. (laughs) Soul distractions are going to come. Come on, be honest about it. Have you ever noticed in the morning, you just put it before the Lord. I'm going to study. I'm going to pray. I'm going to run up and down. Hallelujah. Hallway. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. Then all of a sudden, your soul gets bombarded with, what about this? What are you going to do about that? What about this? What about that? What about picking up the laundry? All those things are distractions. And here's what the Bible says. And some distractions are more serious than others. But here's what the word says. Looking away from everything that would distract us 
unto Jesus. He tells us to consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be weary and faint in your minds. So what am I saying? At the top of the day, go to the secret place. Go out in your day with rest in your soul. Pray in the Spirit. And here's the result in verse 3 of Psalm 23. Here's the result. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me pathways to God's pleasure and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. Now, of course, the battles are going to come. But notice with me in verse 4. Read it with me. Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me. And lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely. Notice the progression. He's my shepherd. He restores my soul. He revives my life. And even though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for his love has conquered me. Oh, hallelujah. And then he pulls out all the stops. I mean, he's so good to us. If we'll just align ourselves with his will and his plan and manage our soul, renew our minds, live in the presence of God, here's what he said he will do. In verse 5, You become my delicious feast, even when my enemies dare to fight. You anoint me with the fragrance of your Holy Spirit. You give me all I can drink until my heart overflows. Hallelujah. He goes overboard. The message says this. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head and my cup brims over with blessing. This is true nourishment for your soul. Verse 6, read it together and we'll take a break. So why would I fear the future? For your goodness and your love pursue me all the days of my life. Verse 6, then afterward when my life is through, I will return to your glorious presence to be with you forever. Amen. So that's part one. I've got more. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So once again, our text is 1 Thessalonians 5.23, which says, In the very God of peace, sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The health of our soul is a very, very precious thing. So precious. I know... uh, When uh, I came out of the world, my soul was not intact. But through the renewing of the mind and through the process of just applying God's word, 
it just came back and it kept getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Isn't it good to know that we don't have to lose our minds? Isn't it great to know that the Bible says that we have a sound mind? But not only do we have a sound mind, but we've got the mind of Christ. Which simply means that we have the mind of the anointed one and his anointing. Which means this, that his unction, his anointing, is not only working in our bodies and quickening every cell and fiber of our being. It's not only working in our spirit, but the anointing is working in our mind. It's working in our brains. Say with me, I'm quick, I'm bright, I'm sharp, I'm good looking, I'm very rich, and I'm a major blessing. Hallelujah. Hey, have you all noticed uh, that in your path, in your journey of leadership, the change is inevitable? Anybody ever experienced some changes before? Like sometimes seems like every other day. But listen to this statement. When what's going on around me, when external change is greater than the internal change in my heart, it can create problems. What we need to do is ask ourselves this question. Is the change that's happening around me greater than the change that's happening in me. The depth of my devotion and your devotion must always exceed the speed of change. People say, well, I'm overwhelmed. I've got too much on my plate. Ask yourself this question. Has the speed of change exceeded the depth of my devotion? How many of you know that personal time with the Lord, not preparation to minister to others? Personal time with the Lord, not preparing a sermon. Or preparing to go out on the street. Or preparing to serve at your post in church. Not preparation to give out, but personal time to take in. I need it. How about you? Jesus said in John seven thirty seven on that last day, the great day of the feast, he stood up and he cried and said, If anyone thirsts, Let him come unto me and... Notice he didn't say come unto me and think. He said come unto me and drink. But now notice this. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, verse 38, out of his belly shall flow, flow rivers of living water. Here's a simple truth. I learned this from Patsy Beerman Caminetti. What a word she gave in this church a few years ago and basically is this I can't do verse 38 unless I do verse 37 
It's impossible for rivers of life to flow out of me freely like God wants them to if I don't come to Him and drink. That's praying in the Spirit. That's worshiping. That's praising Him. Then Patsy said this, great statement. How much we drink of Him will determine how much of Him flows through us. In other words, what we receive of Him and from Him will flow through us. If I don't take care of the internal part of my being, the external parts of my life will be overwhelmed. Thank God He upholds all things by the power of His Word. He's able to keep us and to enable us to stand. Now, God's will is for you and I. Man, in this day and this hour, how many of you sense just a greater degree of glory? How many of you sense in a greater expectation of the manifestation of the goodness of God and the glory of God in your church, in this church, in the body of Christ? I do. I'll tell you, in the second service today, I didn't start preaching until about 12.05, and I was happy about it. Thank you, Lord. So we're going. We're going. I'm going. We're going. We're going from one degree of glory to the next. And this only occurs as we behold Him. For all of us with unveiled face, because... We continue to behold Him in the Word of God as in a mirror. The glory of God are transfigured into His very own image in ever-increasing splendor from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Holy Ghost. Point number three. The gift that God's given you (laughs) is like a gas pedal. It's like a gas pedal. But wisdom is the break. What does that mean? That means this, that our gift will always say yes to things that we should say no to. Because when we get over in the presence of the Lord, oh, glory. Shalabahaya. There ain't nothing impossible. There ain't nothing I cannot do. That has an exception. Without Him and without His leading, we can't do nothing. And so there's going to be opportunity, opportunity after opportunity to say yes to some really, really awesome good things. But what we must determine by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, whether it's a God thing for us in our individual lives and in our corporate lives. Say it with me, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God. They're the sons of God. So here's what we do. We put our trust in Him. We don't lean to this here, up here. But we live out of our heart. And at the top of every decision we make, at the top of every opportunity, we must acknowledge Him. And as we acknowledge Him, 
and we understand that he knows more than we do. He's smarter than we are. He knows the end from the beginning and the in between. As we acknowledge him in all of our ways, he'll direct our paths. And I'll be honest with you, any time I haven't done that, and any time I've stepped out in my own thinking, in my own ingenuity, trying to do something, trying to make something happen, nine times out of ten, it created a loss of energy, it created a loss of momentum, and many times a loss of money. That's very true. Now I'll just hang my own dirty laundry out. You're not looking at a perfect man. I know the Bible says in the middle of the Bible, Mark the perfect man. But thank God we can learn. Thank God we can grow in the leadership and in the direction of the Holy Spirit. Your gift is like a gas pedal, but wisdom is the brake. How many of you know you can't drive a vehicle that just has a gas pedal? You can't have a ministry with just a gas pedal. It doesn't end up well. And again, I'm not a smart aleck, but oftentimes people's gifts have shot them to heights in ministry that people have never achieved in 30, 40 years of ministry. But their gift was so strong and so big and so great that it's like they got shot out of a rocket, but they're not around today. Because speed kills. Unless... There's the management of the soul and there's the management of people around you that can speak into your life and hold you accountable. For that person is Brenda Thomas. You know, just just recently, you know, we, we, we had an opportunity to have 200 cars park on our parking lot called Park and Ride, Genetech, pharmaceutical company. And uh, we didn't go looking for it. Brenda warned me. She said, Mark, don't go down rabbit trails. Don't go out there looking for something to happen. Don't go out there looking for somebody to park on your parking lot. Let go and let God. And God did it. And he opened up that door. And even though it's taking month upon month upon month and traffic study and this and that, through faith and patience, we will inherit the promises. So anyway, I don't know why I said all that, but I did. Anyway, so without the break of wisdom, our gift will compel us to a level that is impossible to maintain. So what we need is wisdom for what's right for right now. I've written this in my notes. I think it's a good word. Somebody says, well, Pastor Tom, Pastor Mark, you guys have been doing it this way for years. And here's what I wrote. Just because we've always done it 
doesn't mean that we have to keep doing it. And so it's really important in your leadership journey, it's important as pastors, we need to look honestly to the Lord and whatever the Lord has not instructed us to do, we have no business doing. Because it gets in the flesh. And how many of you know flesh times flesh equals fleshiness and the flesh don't profit nothing. So discover then the nourishment of your souls. I got this from Greg Rochelle, who's uh, the pastor, I think, of the largest church in America. It's not a Pentecostal church, not a charismatic church, but they have over 200,000 members. And I think he knows what he's talking about when he talks about energy. He says, when you make difficult decisions, when you have difficult interactions, and you try to solve difficult problems, you can drain your emotional energy. And then he went on to say, when you're emotionally depleted, it's wise to know what specifically refills your emotional tank. And this quote, so good. You cannot lead at the highest level of love or love from the deepest part of your heart when you are emotionally empty. And so he goes on then to talk about it's important to target our wattage. (laughs) Target your wattage. What does that mean? Not only manage your time well, but manage your emotions well. Listen, folks, we only have so much energy. Right now, I've put myself on a budget, not financially. Thank you, Jesus. We have a budget for church. Brenda won't let me do a budget at the house. You know what my budget is? I'm budgeting my time. I'm budgeting my energy. And I'm budgeting my resources. So every day I have to ask myself this question. Can I afford to say yes to this opportunity? What am I going to have left in the tank on Sunday morning if I go to that party Saturday night? And I'm not talking down at the bar. You understand what I'm saying. But am I going to have enough in the tank emotionally if I allow myself to pursue trivial things. Manage your energy because you only have so much. Some of you here today are not real good in the morning. Yeah, I mean, in the morning, you don't want to talk to the Lord and the Lord does not want to talk to you. Some of you are, instead of, good morning, Lord, it's, oh, Lord, it's morning. Some of you are better in the afternoon. So use that resource of energy and slot it in the times where you're more clear, where you're rested, where you've had a time to pray, where maybe you've had three cups of pizza or Starbucks, I don't know. Most of the decisions that I make are in the morning. 
big decisions. Because it comes at a time after I've rested well and rejuvenated my physical body. It comes after a time I've had time to pray and bow and declare His greatness and cast my care on Him and pray prayers devotionally that I pray mostly every day, then I'm ready. I'm ready to circle the city. I'm ready to make that decision that I've been asked about maybe for a week or two. I'm clear now. If we're not clear to hear, we need to wait till we are. You getting anything out of this? So use your time during the day where you're at your very best for what's more important. Learn what refreshes you and nourishes you. This next one is really vital. (laughs) Don't add doom to the gloom. (laughs) We We hear negative reports. I mean all the time. I mean all the time. If I were to react negatively at all of the bad reports I get, I wouldn't be in ministry today. I've had to learn to compartmentalize it. And listen to this statement. I love this. Don't take the things that really, really don't matter. Understand how I say that. And turn them into things that do matter. Don't be a mountain maker. Be a mountain mover. Don't make a molehill, a mountain out of a molehill. In other words, don't add doom to the gloom. Amen? Some of the things that we've faced over the years, the enemy will try to get you on a treadmill to make a decision right like that. I've learned from Kenneth E. Hagin very well this scripture. He that believeth shall not make haste. We do not have to meet the agenda of someone else. We do not have to come align ourselves with their timeline. We need God's plan. God's will in God's way. But see, the enemy is a hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, pressure, pressure, pressure. That is where you have to know that he is God and be still. Amen. As leaders, we must have the spirit of faith, the spirit of Caleb and Joshua, which says, we didn't get that mountain 40 years ago. I'm about 80 now, but I'm as strong and as youthful today as I was back then. So Caleb, Joshua, sitting around the fire, that mountain doesn't intimidate me. Let's go get it. That's the spirit of faith. Listen very carefully. How you conduct yourself as a leader 
with the spirit of faith is tangible and it's transferable. Those around us can catch the spirit of faith. One of the biggest projects we've ever been involved in is this building. Back in 2003, we purchased this building. It was a dump on the inside. It took us till 2007 in the month of August to have our first service here. That was four years. But I tell you what, I'm so proud of you and I'm proud of our leadership because we decided we're to conduct ourselves with the spirit of faith. We're going to be there one day. We're in a process and God is moving on our behalf. We kept the vision in front of the people. And as a visionary, you've got to see it. If you're ever going to seize it, you've got to see it. And you've got to help other people see it. For where there is no vision, the people perish. I talked about our park and ride. That sign out there on the street, that cost 50 grand. It's paid for. Someone paid for it. But we started that process way back in the early summer. It's now 2020. Where's the sign? Where's the sign? Where's the sign? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I want you to know the sign is there. And by God's grace, it's there. And it's going to stay there. What are you saying? I'm saying as leaders, as pastors, we cannot afford to be wimpy. We, we can't afford to be wimpy. We can't afford to get up in front of the congregation. and Well, well woe is me. I just don't know when things are going to happen. Y'all pray for me. The Warriors lost last night. Every night. That's right, Leah. Every night. Every night. Is that right? Letha, you like the Warriors, right? You've got a relative that works for the Warriors, right? Yeah, your son works for the Warriors. My cell number is 510. <laughs> Praise God. So good to have you guys here. I, I want our pastors that are here tonight to stand up. If you're a pastor in this church or if you're a minister, please stand. We want to welcome all of them. Amen. Praise the Lord. Wonderful. Dr. Chris and Cindy Cristobal are celebrating 25 years at River of Life here real soon. But listen... 39 years of full-time ministry. Pastor Leah, we love you. God's got great things in store for you. Pastor's a great church out there in Pittsburgh. I've preached there many times. We love you. Then our pastor friends from Alameda, stand back up. Praise God. Our Brazilian pastors. And I say our pastors, they're not my pastors. We're pastors together. Amen. So what are you saying to me? I'm saying maintain the spirit of faith. Keep moving when you don't feel like it. Keep progressing. Dr. Fred Price taught us well. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Every day we walk it out. Be an example. And then lastly, and I've kept you here long enough, but lastly,
occasionally, as leaders, we need to take a look under the hood. Got any mechanics in here? Now, the last time I took a look under a hood of a car was probably when I was 10. But take a look under the hood. What do you mean by that? Well, Psalms 139, verse 23 and verse 24. Notice this in the YLT. Young says this. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous way in me. And lead me in a way age-enduring. Age-enduring. In other words, you don't want to get to a place where you're you know, constantly looking at everything and just constantly looking into your life and picking here and picking there. But here's the thought. Lord, if there's anything that's bubbling up on the inside of me, that if I don't manage, it's going to get the best of me. Is there any ill will toward a fellow minister? Is there any ill will toward a church member that has talked about us and left and taken people with them. Is there any ill will in my heart? If there is, Lord, I don't want it. I don't want it. Why? Because I want to be meat for the Master's use. I want my spirit, I want my temple to be holy and ready to be used for God. I cannot afford any filthiness in my spirit. Smith Wiggersworth said this, There's not one thing in me the blood does not cleanse. And then he went on to say, The Holy Spirit never brings condemnation. He always reveals the blood of Christ. He's the lifting power of the church. How many know sometimes we've got to check our motives? Keep pride at bay. One thing I've learned about preaching... If it was good, if it was God, it was God. If it was bad, it was me. (laughs) And he said this, The blood of Jesus can reach into the secret recesses of your motives and purposes and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, iniquity, sin, shame, and guilt. There's a vast difference between conviction and condemnation conviction, the Holy Spirit will just point things out to you to bring correction. Change this. And if you change this, it'll be for your benefit. But the devil's the author of condemnation. And condemnation sounds like this. You're a loser. You'll never be the man of God, the woman of God that God called you to be. And one of the best ways that I know to do this is I know during a time of communion, Communion is a time of celebration, but it's also a time of examination. So I've said all these things tonight to you that I believe that will help you, that I believe that will encourage you, and that will enable you to go down the road of leadership in a stronger way, in a healthy way, and even in a greater way.